0: This is the podcast for The Journal Genetics and Medicine published by The Nature Publishing Group. It's the official peer-reviewed journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. I'm Cynthia Graber. Our understanding of the relationship between genetic variants and diseases is evolving rapidly. As a result, as more research is conducted, variants are being reclassified. And Scott Turner and his colleagues wondered, when it comes to variants related to hereditary cancers, what kinds of reclassifications are occurring, how long do they take, and how might they affect clinical care? Dr. Turner is an assistant professor at Virginia Commonwealth University and assistant director of their molecular diagnostic lab. The biggest challenge, he says, is with variants of unknown significance.
1: Especially as we have expanded uh, molecular and clinical testing uh, to larger um, gene panels using next-gen sequencing, we've seen a pretty significant increase in the numbers of variants of unknown significance being reported back to patients. And in the context of hereditary cancer syndromes, they're not diagnostic of uh, hereditary cancer syndrome. And therefore, determining what the clinical management of these patients should be can be somewhat challenging.
0: Dr. Turner and his colleagues at his previous job at the Vanderbilt University Cancer Center decided to look at a data set of nearly 1,700 patients. They included reclassifications that came from outside laboratories without additional requests from the clinicians. Those labs had noticed the reclassification and sent an amended report.
1: And so we wanted to harness that data um, and look at, over a five-year period, how many of those variants were actually first being reclassified. So that's the first thing we wanted to look at. And then once we identified those that were being reclassified, we wanted to determine how those were being reclassified. So were those going from variants of unknown significance down to benign or likely benign variants, or, or were we seeing them go in ways that we didn't necessarily expect? We figured we'd see a few that were variants of unknown significance that were being upgraded and now diagnostic of hereditary cancer syndrome. So we we have, you know, um, some databases that we were able to use, better organize and harness this clinical data, and then we were able to go in and actually look at patient records to kind of follow along with these patients over time in their clinical management, as well as, you know, with our clinical colleagues um, and authors, co-authors on this paper, and how they were managing these patients post-reclassification
0: they found that about 7% of all the patients had an amended reclassification report. And most of those reclassifications were just what they expected, variants of unknown significance that were downgraded to benign or likely benign.
1: But surprisingly... I think the, the, the thing that we, we didn't expect to find was that about 4% of all pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants were also reclassified. So these are those variants that are diagnostic of hereditary cancer syndrome. So a patient will come in, have testing done, get back, say, a BRCA1 or BRCA2 or TP53 mutation that's diagnostic of a hereditary cancer syndrome. Upon revision, this goes, is downgraded from a pathogenic or likely pathogenic down to a, a variant of unknown significance at from what we saw in our particular cases, meaning that now it's no longer diagnostic of hereditary cancer syndrome. So these patients once understood or thought they understood their risk, but in turn, they in fact aren't diagnostic for hereditary cancer syndrome, and therefore their clinical management is going to be impacted pretty significantly um, from what
0: we found. This particular case of downgrading pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants to unknown significance only occurred for six patients, a very small number. But overall, there were changes in the reports for 16 patients that would have the potential to alter clinical management.
1: Out of those 16 patients, 15 of the 16 had significant changes to clinical history in one of at least one of three areas. So we looked at things like um, cascade testing for family members. So that was a significant area of clinical change in clinical management. So whether a family member would be eligible to have additional testing to identify whether or not they carried this particular pathogenic variation and to understand their risk for potentially developing cancers in the future, as well as prophylactic um, risk-reducing surgeries. And then the third area that we looked into was tissue screening or organ screening for those particular individuals over their the course of their lifetime with a, this diagnosis of a hereditary cancer syndrome. So again, 15 out of our 16 patients actually had significant changes in at least one of those three areas with about 56%, so 9 out of 16 resulting in alterations in multiple areas of management. And so we're not only talking typically about you know, one stream of clinical management, typically their entire management plans have been altered because of this revision in hereditary cancer syndrome.
0: To tease this out, say a patient had originally been told that they had a variant that was linked to their particular cancer. Perhaps their family members were tested. And if the family members tested negative, then they would not be advised to have regular screenings. But if that variant was no longer considered one that confers a high risk of cancer, then those family members were no longer true negatives, could no longer assume that they were safe, and they should instead be screened based on family history. Or, on the flip side, maybe a family member tested positive for that variant and had prophylactic surgery that turned out to be unnecessary
1: you know, we're not finding that a ton of patients are coming back in um, and having these pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants reclassified. But enough that, you know, it is a concern that we don't just ignore all these pathogenic or likely pathogenic variants, but as more data and more information becomes available that we're paying closer attention to ensuring that our initial classifications, even for those, um, were correct as well.
0: There's a looming issue that underscores this paper, and it's one that will only grow in the future as genetics becomes increasingly a part of clinical care. What type of burden does this put on both laboratories and on clinicians? Dr. Turner says it's a significant one, especially because more than 80% of the variant change has no impact on clinical care.
1: And so we're asking clinicians and we're asking laboratories to go through these reclassifications and try to reach out and identify and find all of these patients um, when there is no necessarily significant change or change in clinical management. You know, again, the burden for for the laboratories is, is trying to manage the number of USs that they have and trying to identify how to reissue or reclassify those reports. You know, I feel it's the laboratory's position um, to make sure that they do reclassify all those, regardless of clinical management, and it's... I personally believe that I, the, you know it's up to the clinician to maybe determine uh, or you know what is reasonable in an attempt to contact or recontact a patient to give them this this news that, that there's been a change in their status um, that doesn't affect clinical management however I, you know you can't deny that or overlook the fact that many of these clinics aren't staffed in order to be able to identify or reconnect with all of these particular patients and go through the significant process it takes to, to find and track some of these patients down.
0: It might be quite difficult to track all the patients down, particularly the ones who weren't recommended for regular screening based on the results. But as Dr. Turner points out, some of these patients might have had negative psychological impacts from those original VOSs. They might have been concerned they were walking around with a variant that could lead to an increased risk from cancer. He and his colleagues suggest a follow-up study could focus on that subset of patients to understand the psychological impact of VUSs and a subsequent downgrade. Overall, Dr. Turner and his colleagues recommend all labs regularly update any and all reclassifications to a general database, such as ClinVar, even those that are benign or likely benign. Because, as he points out, less than a quarter of all the VUSs overall were reclassified, which means there's a significant potential for yet more reclassification for these very same patients in the future
1: you know, from a laboratory perspective, our recommendations continue to be that all reclassified variants need to get reported back to to the patients, regardless of whether there's a clinical impact on those variants or not. Um, And then from a clinical perspective, The clinicians, who I think do a very good job of this in general, but clinicians uh, need to continue to manage patients based on the information available to them, but also be critical of any laboratory report that's coming in, whether it's a VUS or a pathogenic or likely pathogenic variant that's diagnostic of hereditary cancer syndrome. Um, And again, identify those that may be special cases that might be right for reclassification in the future. I know that's a a big challenge, but again, it's a two-way street, and I think laboratories working with clinicians and vice versa will help continue to define and redefine how we go through this process.
0: Genetics and Medicine is the official peer-reviewed journal of the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics and is published by The Nature Publishing Group. I'm Cynthia Graber.